1: A recent survey conducted by Thomson Reuters of working professional women across the country discovered three top concerns shared by most working women. Concerns over the glass ceiling, equal pay, and work-life balance. Perhaps to that list we could add things like the challenge of building a support network and fear of failure in a male-dominated business world. After all, the men seem to have the good old boys' network. How come the ladies don't have a good old girls' network? Well, with some insight, and answers to this question we're joined now by a very special guest lisa lambert lisa is managing partner with the wesley group prior to that she served as vice president at intel capital and she's the founder of upward uniting professional women accelerating relationships and development lisa great to have some time with you today
2: Thank you. Thank you. I'm looking forward to the discussion.
1: What do you think about that list? Uh, Reuters determining that a lot of professional women today are not only met with challenges of the glass ceiling, equal pay, work-life balance, but then, too, this challenge of the fear of failure in a male-dominated world and the challenge of building a support network.
2: I think it's absolutely right. In fact, that was the basis of the conception of the idea for Upward. I started it. In 2013 for that very reason um, not only the Reuters study but McKinsey and others have done studies that show that women are disadvantaged in all of those aspects but one of the biggest ones is the lack of access to informal networks and so in informal networks you get access to mentors and sponsors and you yourself just become more visible because you're connecting with the people that are decision makers and you're building rapport and building relationship and all that matters when a job opportunity comes up and the decision maker has to choose. They're going to choose the person they have the rapport with, the relationship they've gotten to know, and they're not going to choose the person that they haven't. And if women are excluded from those uh, informal networks, then they're going to be disadvantaged. So it is absolutely true. And that's the genesis of Upward, uh, the idea around having a global networking organization for executive women
1: And it's part of the goal here too, Lisa, to kind of I guess face reality head on, and I ask that question because typically in perhaps somewhat of a prejudicial fashion um, society will say, well, if women want to advance today they have to do it through education hard work, sacrifice putting their nose to the grindstone things of that sort, and yet when we see men succeed, we'll oftentimes say well, he's just taking advantage of the good old boy network. Is this in part recognizing the value that it's Yes, all about hard work and sacrifice and dedication, but then, too, about the value of networking and relationships?
2: Absolutely. I mean, you you need to perform. I mean, that's the baseline. I mean, the very minimum, you need to perform. And I think women are, are very effective at that. I mean, they're heads down in their work group doing their job, and they do that consistently. Women have lots of other responsibilities and duties that they take very seriously, like, you know, being a a wife and being a mother and being involved in the lives uh, that entail being a wife and a mother, you know, and so women do care about that. And so they really do focus their time on being effective at their job. And often the networking piece gets jettisoned. It gets put aside Set on the side burner because you just don't have the free time and I think what a lot of women are beginning to realize and was the epiphany moment for me when I started upward is that that's something you can't put on the side you have to be involved in the informal networks and formal networks that make you visible that make you relevant that tell people your story because really you know, it comes down to it. The people that care about your career most are you and your mother, you know, and not, <laughs> and not the folks that are around you that you may be competing with for jobs. So you have to be involved. You have to be engaged. And I think for women it's, it's more of a challenge. Uh, I think that the network is the lifeblood of a career. And if you're not spending half of your time on networking, building relationships, making yourself visible, telling people your story, and telling them what you want in terms of your career – then you're not going to have much of a career. And I think that's an area that women, we all need to work on, which is why I started Upward.
1: And on the Upward website, and folks can get more information there by going to upwardwomen.org, that's upwardwomen.org. You kind of summarize it in, in three tiers, meet up, build up, and move up. Help us better understand how those goals all fit into what women can expect to experience when they go to an Upward event.
2: Yeah, so meetups are really the formats that we have for our programs. What Upward does uh, primarily, and this is how we were started, was bringing together executive women. We have nearly 4,000 executive women members across the globe. We actually have seven chapters. The Bay Area chapter is our largest, but we're expanding. Two new geographies, domestic and international, for folks, for purposes of bringing a larger community together. The more vibrant and large the community is, the more you can leverage it to help advance your career. And so the meetups are a physical way for us to engage, right? We do topical discussions, we do workshops, we do seminars and clinics. Uh, It's a way for members in a locale, you know, whether it's the Bay Area chapter or the New York chapter or the Chicago chapter, to come together with expert speakers to learn something important and to network. And every one of our uh, venues, our events, we always have a full hour of networking before and after because that is a big part of building your You know, extending your reach and building a broad portfolio of people that you can tap um,
1: as you need them in your career. And toward that that, end, the Bay Area chapter, I understand, Lisa, will be having its third annual Upward Dinner event that will be coming to the San Jose Fairmont Hotel on Thursday, February the 9th. Tell us more about that.
2: Yeah, so this is our annual uh, dinner. We do each year a big event, which which includes all of our report members. We certainly invite all of our report members. And it's the one opportunity where the different chapters and the different locations can all come together, uh, meet one another, really get inspired by our speakers. We've had some amazing speakers in the past. Carol Bartz uh, was a speaker for our first inaugural event. Uh, she was CEO of Autodesk and Yahoo. Uh, Sally Krawcheck was a speaker for us. She was former CEO of a number of large investment banks, uh, Wall Street career. And this year we have a panel of great speakers, CEOs, entrepreneurs, that are going to be speaking at our event. Uh, something we've never done before. We generally have, uh, you know, a big corporate. Speaker, who's been CEO of a large publicly traded company. But this year, we've got Julie Hartz, who's the founder and CEO of Eventbrite, Britt Morin, who's the founder and CEO of Brit&Co, and Mariam Nefasi, who's the founder and CEO of Mintit. So all very accomplished people, all have been on the most powerful women's Forbes list And uh, they're going to come and speak to our members, Uh, get them motivated, get them inspired. You know, how do you build a billion dollar market cap company? That's what these women have done. And that's what we're going to be talking about at the event.
1: So a big part of the evening sounds like connecting and mentoring and toward that, uh, toward that degree for those eavesdropping on our conversation that say, you know, Lisa, this sounds like exactly what I've been looking for. Is this dinner coming up on Thursday, February the 9th open to the public? And if so, what can folks do to order tickets?
2: Yeah, so the membership for Upward, and it is required that you be an Upward member before you attend our events, Uh, But the profile for the members are you have to be a director-level, VP-level, or C-level woman executive. So that is a bit of a limited demographic, uh, but we did it for a reason. We find, if you just look at the U.S., women do enter the workforce at large numbers, Uh, you know, S&P 500 companies, Fortune 500 companies, generally somewhere between 45 and 50 percent of the professional workforce at that entry level are women. Uh, we're graduating at more uh, higher levels at each level of degree, from the associate all the way up to a doctorate. But what happens is once they get into the workforce, they don't make it to the top for some of the reasons that we talked about earlier, you know, lack of more networks, lack of sponsors, lack of mentors. And so I specifically targeted the senior executive uh, demographic for the reason of getting more women in those senior positions and the CEO positions and the board positions so that we have more influence. Um, and more ability to bring up women behind us. So that does limit the scope a bit. So if you are in that demographic, you're an executive woman uh, working in the professional world, not just uh, tech startups uh, or or large companies, but professionals like attorneys and financiers, uh, etc., Consultants are all qualified, so that's really the only restriction. Uh, we've sold 550 uh, tickets so far. Uh, we have capacity for 600-ish, six 600, 620. So we have a little bit more room in the next two and a half weeks um, if there's somebody that fits that demographic and would be interested in joining
1: us. And, of course, a great opportunity to get more details about this upcoming third annual Upward Dinner event coming to the San Jose Fairmont Hotel Thursday, February the 9th. As Lisa mentioned, you do need to be a member to participate and to find out more about Upward and how to become a member. Simply go to UpwardWomen.org. That's UpwardWomen.org. And, of course, in addition to this event, Uh, Your website, I understand, Lisa, has got a whole plethora of great resources, information about the history of Upward, and a look at many of the resources and opportunities for women, not in this chapter, but across the country, and as it grows globally to meet up, build up, and move up.
2: That's exactly right. It's a great place to go because we actually videography, videotape all of our events. Um, I write blog posts on all of our events. And so there's lots and lots of content available on the website for you to get a feel for what it's like to be at an Upward event. And we've also launched this year an online platform. So it's it's a way of getting the Upward members in an online community, you know, much like you see with LinkedIn, for example, but specifically for our members. So it's a way to connect when we're not at a physical forum where we can actually uh, network, we can actually network online. And that's a big part of our launch on February 9th as well. We're enrolling more of our members into the online community called Who Knows for the Upward membership. So there's lots of information you can find. We have a YouTube channel. We have lots of social media, Twitter, Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, et cetera. Um, So you can find out information to join us for this event while their tickets remain. And if not this event, for a future event in the Bay Area or other locales.
1: And again, to get more information, simply log on today to UpwardWomen.org. That's UpwardWomen.org. And our thanks to founder Lisa Lambert for being with us. Lisa, thanks so much for the time. Thank you. I enjoyed it.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: We're going to spend some time in this portion of the program talking about power, Uh, at least you think we're going to dive into a bit of a thesis on how to reduce your energy bills and uh, save money. Uh, No, not quite that kind of power, but power nevertheless. A topic that, while most of us don't spend a lot of time thinking about in a direct fashion... We nevertheless are engaged in it. Some of us exercise it. Others have a thirst or a yearning for it. It's something that we think about at certain levels, and yet we have this very odd relationship with power. We know certainly that the old adage, what is it, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But what of our relationship to this topic of power from a spiritual standpoint? My next guest tonight has taken some time to dive deeper into this very equation, and he details his findings and really kind of kind of pulling back, so to speak, the, the layers of the onion to help us better understand our relationship to power inside the pages of Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. It is written by author, executive editor of Christianity Today, Andy Crouch. And Andy, thanks so much for being on the program with us. Thank you, Craig. I'm delighted to be here. Fascinating topic. It's something that, as I say, well, we probably don't get up every day and think specifically about this topic. It's one that we're, we're tied into on a day-by-day basis, and a lot of us find ourselves even in this, in this struggle for or against power of one sort or another uh, literally daily, don't we?
3: It's part of being a human being, I think. It's actually part of being a living, any living creature, uh, has some kind of power because power. In the most basic sense, is just the ability to make a difference in the world, to make some kind of change in the world. And if you're alive, you're doing that one way or another. But as human beings, we have much more complex kinds of power than other creatures do, other parts of creation do. And that's ultimately because we're we're made in the image of God in in a way that other creatures aren't. And I think that's why every human being, um, you know, you mentioned a yearning for power. Every human being kind of wants room to, to make something of value and worth. But then also this has become very distorted uh, by our own sin and the ways that we've uh, distanced ourselves from God.
1: Indeed, we see uh, laid out literally from the Garden of Eden uh, the capacity of power to either do good or do evil. And then it seems as if it's been a a history-long, lifelong struggle for mankind in trying to deal with, well, what exactly is our relationship to power? What do we do with it? Why do we yearn for it? How do we corrupt it? How do we drive it in the right direction? so that it can, in fact, do more good than it does evil. You know, when you when you lay
3: it out like that, you realize in a way the whole story of Scripture is a story about power. It's about the original power that human beings were meant to have. They're made in the image of God. They're the climax of creation in Genesis 1. And they're given dominion. You know, that's a power word over the whole creation. These very frail, vulnerable creatures, just like you and me, are are told that they're to have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the air, and, you know, all this stuff that pre-technological humanity couldn't directly control, and yet they're given this vision that they're there to represent the Creator in the midst of creation. But then something goes very wrong, and I think you'd sum it up by saying they try to uh, declare uh, declare independence from God. They try to separate themselves from God and use their power for themselves. And the power that we were meant to have, which was meant to be for the flourishing of the whole world ends up being kind of turned in on our own uh, benefit, our own self-protection. And then the question becomes, how is God going to intervene to set this story right, and that in many ways is, is the story of the rest of the Bible.
1: And it really is amazing, as you point out, I mean, literally in the opening chapter of Genesis, we see the first action of God, a display of his power yeah. as he engages in his creative power to bring about planet Earth. Then we see later on, once mankind is about the scene, uh, first an account of the power struggle between Lucifer and God himself, right. and then later on, man's power struggle as we engage in this battle in the Garden of Eden. And it seems as if this this issue of kind of a a power struggle with God or against God has kind of been a component from day one, hasn't it? (laughs) Absolutely, and this was actually true even in the
3: world where the where the Book of Genesis was first written down, because the other creation stories that were told by the the gods of Babylon or the you know the religion of Babylon all said that the world began with a conflict. Uh, they were all conflict stories. The amazing thing about Genesis one is it does not have it doesn't begin with conflict. The conflict comes in later, and the the root conviction of Genesis one is that when God uses his creative power, it brings only abundance. It's not kind of a zero-sum game, where if I win, you lose, or if you win, I lose. Instead, you get more and more flourishing. Uh, What happens, though, when the man and the woman are tempted, (laughs) and when they give into that, and when that sets in motion, really, history as we know it, is power becomes about conflict, and it becomes about competition. It's no longer about mutual flourishing, where we we actually both could win, it's about one of us is going to, to dominate uh, mm. the other, or one force is going to dominate the other. And we start to believe that that's the realist form of power, that the, the most real power is the power that can make you do something you don't want to do, rather than the power that can call into being a world or new kinds of creativity, new kinds of culture uh, that actually benefits everyone.
1: So what's fascinating about this, then, is we really get pulled into this topic, Andy, of power in relation relationship to whether it's being used for uh, malevolent purposes or, on the other hand, malevolent purposes, Mm. that impacts every relationship that we have. I mean, certainly with God, I mean, sin is what better description of the power struggle uh, that exists between mankind and God uh, than to see sin and and how that power fight's going on. And not just, though, on the vertical plane, but even on the horizontal plane in our relationships. I mean, uh, think of the young teenager who's rebelling against his parents, (laughs) and all of a sudden there's this power struggle that we see that's being displayed there. Even the friction between husband and wife and relationships at that level oftentimes are demonstrative of this fight over power.
3: They really are about power, and, uh, and and I think that's because, in many ways, it's the most it's the most fundamental thing we're given to work with as human beings, either for good or for bad. Um, and so you do find it in every relationship, actually, every workplace, every church, every family, and and most of us, realistically, the place where most of us have the most power is in our family relationships, especially if we're parents. But even even as uh, those of us who are parents know, children have tremendous power in their relationship with their parents. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, that's why so much of the Bible story is the story of families that either get it somewhat right, never entirely right, uh, and sometimes get it terribly wrong. Um, and, you know, again, we often think, you know, when we think of power, I think we often think of, you know, politics or perhaps military power, and those are very real but when I started to dive into this issue, I realized actually all of us confront these issues every single day. I confront it in my own home, not just when I'm out doing allegedly powerful things, but even in choosing how I relate to my wife and my children, my neighbors. It happens at every scale of human society.
1: Well, even at, deeper than that, perhaps, Andy, is that the power struggle that goes on internally. I mean, look, for <laughs> example, Paul talked about, you know, wow. I, spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I know to do good, and yet I do what not. Daily, you have to die into the flesh don't we see demonstrated there in that sense an internal power struggle going on do we yield to god do we yield to the devil who's going to kind of get control here
3: i think that's an amazing observation and what it always i think uh, for many people the real question in life is not actually does god exist i think most people know god exists and paul says even those who don't believe that sort of suppress the truth they still know the truth but the real question is: Is God good? <laughs> mm. And and especially if I serve God, well, does that mean I have to give up things I want? Does that mean I have to give up what's good? And the the root of of every abuse of power is the idea that that we can't both get something good. Either I and God, I can't. God can't get what's you know good for God and good for me. Or you and I, if we get locked in a power struggle, we start to believe either I win or you win. And when that enters into our relationship with God, we've basically believed the very thing the serpent says in Genesis uh, 3, which is, God's actually jealous of his power, and he doesn't want you to have all of it, so you better eat that fruit so that you'll have what God doesn't want you to have, and that's the fundamental lie, that God wants you to have something that would actually be good for you, but that God doesn't want you to
1: have. And that's an amazing point that you make there, because there is an aspect of this power that we define in the flesh, and I mean, we just bring up the topic, we think of power, it's the energy to drive to do something, to accomplish something, and we often think that, well, the greatest display of power is when we're flexing our muscles to use power, failing perhaps to recognize that somehow there's, there's another aspect that can show how powerful we can be that in the flesh might seem to be weak, but in the spiritual realm is in fact very powerful. We'll talk a bit about that, too, as we continue our conversation today. Andy Crouch on the line with us today. He, executive editor of Christianity Today and the author of a new book called Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. We'll come back to more of our conversation as Lifeline continues here on KFAX.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Dissecting today in this edition of Lifeline all of the power struggles that we see at so many levels within our relationships, within our history, Uh, really going back to the beginning of time tonight with Andy Crouch. Um, He, of course, does not go quite back to the beginning of time, but he's been around for a while, enough to be able to be executive editor of Christianity Today, a prolific writer. One of his other best-selling books includes Culture Making, Recovering Our Creative Calling. We're talking today, though, about his latest book book newly published by university press called playing god redeeming the gift of power interesting andy when we talk about the ways in which sometimes power gets distorted we always have that sense that power is about getting my way and if i just get my way i'm somebody that's very powerful and yet sometimes surrendering parts of ourselves while perceived perhaps in the flesh to be weakness actually can be quite powerful can't it
3: Yes, and, uh, you know, it's amazing how often, you, how much time you spend in the first chapter of Genesis when you start thinking about this, because of course the first chapter of Genesis begins with God, the Creator, who we know as Christians is three persons, three in one, and there's that interesting moment in Genesis 1 where God actually says, let us make humankind. And that uh, Creator is already complete he has his way if you want to put it that way already without making the world And yet this God desires to bring into being a world that's going to have all of these other creatures, starting with very simple creatures uh, in the first days of creation, as as the story is told, but then culminating in these creatures who are made in his image. He actually wants partners. And so when we think about the highest form of power, I think we do often think, boy, if I really had power, I would just say, you know, do it, and people would do it. (laughs) They would basically be little... Uh, Robots obeying my commands Um, And this is what we think It would be like to be God To be able to just move things around And move uh, persons around Without regard to what they want But it seems like the deeper form of power Is actually to call into being Other other persons who can actually collaborate with you because that's what God essentially invites these creatures made in his image to do, to be his representatives in the midst of creation. So, you know, we really have to get away from this idea that the the realest form of power is control or command, and realize that actually the realest form of power is creation and collaboration. That's when you have the most power is when other people actually take up their own
1: creative abilities. And, and that understanding, that perspective is is critically important, isn't it? Because if we're going to redeem power then there has to be something worthy of being redemptive there. And so often, as I say, I think, Andy, a lot of us mistake power for meaning that means you get to do whatever you want to do in order to other people around to do your bidding, which, as we're learning, is absolutely not the case at all. So then at the end of the day, it's understanding that perspective that allows us to see the good of power and how this can be then redeemed for God's purposes. That was one of the big
3: breakthroughs for me was when I realized we often talk about power as if it's the same thing as dominance or domination and actually that domination is a is a very weak form of power. If all I have over you is the ability to make you do things that you don't want
1: to do, I actually have very little real power. And it's interesting Uh, you mention that. I remember thinking back to a lot of the media reports, for example, over Ariel Castro. This is that guy there in Cleveland that kidnapped Amanda Uh, Berry and and two other girls. Uh, And you would read the story on the surface and see the way which he had held these girls in in the basement of this house with uh, wire ties around their wrists and chains and everything else. And you think, well, there's demonstrative of this guy being so powerful, wielding all this power over these girls. And yet, the deeper you you get into the psyche in the story well, you begin know. to realize no this guy's not powerful at all in fact he's pretty powerless
3: yes and, the, and you know Paul uh, will use the language of impri- imprisoned or slave you know a slave especially in the ancient world, with someone who had absolutely no power of their own, completely dependent on their master. And Paul says if we really get gave into that idea of domination, if we got what we think we want, which Ariel Castro did kind of get for a time, but what he thought he wanted, the ability to dominate, we actually become slaves uh, of sin. We, we don't end up being masters. And that's why the serpent's promise in the garden is so um, appealing and so deceptive, because actually once the man and woman get what they want, what we want, to be like God without having to be in a relationship with God, they actually find that they don't have what they wanted at all. Um, and that's what where domination leads. It, it actually strangely enough leads to the the one who would be master ends up being, becoming completely so, mastered by
1: it. Really, Satan is in the process of distorting power then uh, from the very beginning and all the time. Yeah. I mean think for example about Jesus there during the 40 days in the wilderness uh-huh. and the number of times that he was tempted and, and I always read those passages and thought to myself, Satan, you're an idiot. I mean to begin with, you're going to say <laughs> that you're going to offer, Very God himself here, if you just bow down and worship me, I give you all of the kingdoms of the earth, and so on and so forth. And I always thought to myself, how can you give God what he already has? (laughs) It's all his to begin with. He created it all, so how can you give him what he already has? Yes, but, you know, in a way, Jesus is the only human being who
3: has heard those temptations and not at some level given in. Mm-hmm. Now, not all of us uh, have heard the promise of every single kingdom, but all of us have that kind of twinge of an idea that we're made for more than we have. And and that's true. Uh, we, You know, we're made, in the image of God, we're made for much more than we currently experience. But Satan insinuates this idea that there's a shortcut to it, that it involves domination, that it involves kind of cheating, god of what god only god can give and jesus is the only human being who's ever realized that's actually not uh, that bargain will not actually work out it's actually a lie and if if he went through with it he would find that satan had mastered him and instead he came out of that temptation able to to say no
1: bring us back to this full circle of the issue of um, bringing power back into the balance, first to understand mm-hmm. that it, it needs to first and foremost be used for the capacity to do good. And we see, when we really mention this even from the very get-go, as we see this in Scripture, the very first acts of God are crea- is the demonstration of creative power.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think one question to ask is, you know, with whatever power I have today, you know, you mentioned I have a I have a title, I'm executive editor of a magazine called Christianity Today. Well, that's a position of power. So the question is, I think there's a couple questions. One is, who am I using that power for? And if the answer is I'm using it mostly for my own benefit, to, uh, you know, increase my own notoriety or fame or my own wealth or, you know, any number of things, then it's I'm probably going to end up using other people for my ends, but it might be possible to use even you know positions like that actually for others flourishing. And I think in the case of people who say own a business, so it could be a small business or have a position like I do, or you are in charge of some people, you you actually are given power not for your own flourishing but for their flourishing. So one of the most important questions we can ask is who is flourishing because I have power, <laughs> and if the answer is me and mine, that isn't very much like the true God. But if the answer is the people who actually are under my care are flourishing, they're becoming more of what they're meant to be, they're expressing their own power, they're getting to do things they, they wouldn't have gotten to do otherwise, then I think we're on the path to a much better use of power.
1: If you've just joined our conversation tonight, Andy Crouch is with us. He's the author of Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. Now, when we come back after a quick timeout, we're going to go deeper into this topic, uh, how we can go about utilizing the creative and benevolent power that God has given to all of us um, in order to use it for His glory, to go deeper in our relationships. Not was just with God on the, uh, the vertical plane, but with others on the horizontal plane as well, as Andy just referred to. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our conversation right after this.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Well, as we're discovering in our conversation tonight with Andy Crouch, and certainly displayed throughout so much of Scripture, uh, power can be used in very many good ways. We think of creative power. We think of the power that has been given to us unto salvation through Christ's substitutionary work on the cross. Uh, And yet, as we see the good side, the good aspects of power, we also recognize there's a power struggle. There's a balance between power being good used for good or power being good used for evil. How do we go about harnessing harnessing power for the use for good, for the glory of the kingdom, and learn how to become, I guess ultimately Andy Crouch, trustees of power. We're, we're, uh, we're kind of entrusted to this, it's just what we do
0: with it, huh?
3: <laughs> yes, that's right, and you know, the title of my book is Playing God, and we usually say that like it's a bad thing, uh, and it is a really bad thing, if you're not playing the true God, but the Really, the question is not whether you're playing God or not, it's which God are you playing. You're going to play some image, you're going to bear some image with your life. Your life will either reflect the image of a false God, the God of domination, the God who has to get his own way, or it will reflect the, the image of the true God, the God who, when things went so terribly wrong, was even willing to give up his own son uh, to bear pain rather than inflict pain. Um, So it really comes down to what you believe ultimate reality is about. And if you believe that the Christian gospel is true, it's going to change, I think, how you use the power you have and also who you use it for. You won't use it primarily for your own benefit, and you will use it, especially, it seems to me, for those who are the the most vulnerable, the least and the last and and the lost that Jesus talked about so many times, Jesus kind of reorients our use of our power towards people who can never pay us back necessarily, who can't benefit us, but who our exercise of power can actually help them flourish.
1: This is kind of a delicate dance, isn't it? Because we see, for example, uh, examples of uh, servant leaders. These are individuals who, who have power, maybe within an organization that they can hire and they can fire things of this sort. Uh, and yet they wish to, instead of putting that power to use to demonstrate how much power they have, rather mm. sharing it with others to, to empower them. It's interesting how uh, perhaps the, the, there's a, a certain power of shared power, isn't there?
3: Absolutely. And I think that's a, a wonderful model. And uh, in a way, you know, I think power really is, it's supposed to be used to serve. Um, that is to say, it's supposed to be used to help others flourish who would not have flourished if you didn't use your power. So if you have one of those positions, your responsibility is to make sure that other people flourish. And that's, in a way, the deepest, I think, sense of what's serving. Well,
1: is. And, we, and we certainly see that, you know, throughout Scripture. I mean, for example, God is a righteous and holy God who created us could have easily have said, well, my creation has offended me, and therefore I'm going to use my power to punish And abolish my creation. Instead, he used his power to bring about victory over death and sin through the work that his son did on the cross.
3: It's amazing. And, you know, as amazing as creation is, in some ways, the new creation Paul talks about, which is the result of the the giving of God and God's son on the cross, is even more amazing. The new creation is just extraordinary that God reaches into this broken world and doesn't act simply to wipe things things out, or to cont- even to command and control everything, but starts recreating right in the midst of it and ultimately is going to make everything new, it says in Revelation. That's real power! <laughs> the ability to make all things new, to wipe tears from people's eyes, from everyone's eyes, um, and we, of course, we only get a little taste of that uh, in our own lives. We're only given a tiny measure of that, and any more than we have would overwhelm us. But I do think we have access to that kind of of recreating power as well as the sort of original creativity that was human beings' birthright as image bearers.
1: How do we start this process in terms of, I think, probably just evaluating where we're at in this power struggle Uh, that we have with God. And uh, of course, that that then spills over into every other relationship. How do we go about analyzing Andy, the way we're using our power, either to good or to Uh, evil, and then learn how to rebalance it so that it becomes a a redemption of power?
3: I think that's a fantastic question. And, you know, I would start with our Uh, with our neighbor who we have seen, as James says. James says, you know, how can you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love your neighbor who you have seen? And we can sometimes be very clever about rationalizing our relationship with God, but our neighbor sees how we treat them. And I'm thinking maybe not so much our next-door neighbor. There could be that. But the people who are closest to us, I think the place to start is to ask very, to create an environment where you can honestly ask and honestly hear how am I using whatever power I have um, and so husbands should ask this of their wives uh, and wives should ask this of their husbands you can start at home it can happen in the workplace to say you know I have power in this position perhaps and asking the people who are affected by that how am I doing? And making sure that they can a- answer honestly. Now, that takes time. That takes building trust. But I think other people will, the other thing that happens, most of us don't think we have very much power. But when you ask other people, what are some of my gifts? What are areas where when I do this, it really creates things? They will they'll give you insight into the power you actually have, even if you don't have a title that seems like it has a lot of power or a position that seems like it has a lot of power.
1: Now let's talk then about relationship to bringing that power balance back in our in our relationship with God.
3: Mm. So then, I so once we've started to. uh hear from our neighbors <laughs> how we're doing I, I think there's a huge place for you know what often the Christian tradition is called the spiritual disciplines because the spiritual disciplines actually put us in a very powerless place when I fast or when I am silent or when I pray alone there's no one to impress <laughs> it's not something I'm very good at I think the interesting thing about the spiritual disciplines like fasting is any human. Human being uh, any healthy adult human being can do that it's not hard to do and yet it's impossible to do it well then when you seriously take up a discipline of fasting you discover how how uh, sort of uh, accustomed you are to filling every little need with food and you discover how much you need god and so I think the spiritual disciplines are are ways that sort of train us to realize how dependent we've become on our own sense of ourselves and our own sense of power. And they, they sort of lay us open before God. And it's amazing what you discover about yourself in prayer as you
1: practice these disciplines. And at the end of the day, it's not that God wants to strip us of power. It's how we channel it, how we direct that, how we use that power.
3: He wants us to have true power, and more, I think, than we ever really imagined. You know, Paul, when he's trying to deal with the church in Corinth, and they're taking each other to court, (laughs) he says, look, don't you know we're going to judge angels? I mean, there's an immense amount of power that is waiting to be conferred on these redeemed image bearers that God wants to bring back into his creation, the way it was originally meant to be. So, God, you know, this is the, the, the great lie, is that God wants to take power away from from us and keep us from having things we want, (laughs) when in fact God has more for us than we could ever imagine, but it's a matter of becoming the kind of uh, image bearers who can bear the weight of that and Mm -hmm. who can not be uh, kind of corrupted by it.
1: To whom much is given, much is expected. Yeah, yeah. And that really kind of brings us full circle on this topic tonight. I I sure appreciate you diving into this, Andy, because it's one that I think, you know, again, we we look at all mankind and we see a power struggle going on. We look at history, we see a power struggle going on. We look at scripture, we see a power struggle going on. We look at sin in our lives with God and we see a power struggle going on. It's not that power is a bad thing. I mean... Thank goodness for power. We wouldn't be on the radio right now if it wasn't for power. And yet if I walked up to one of the towers and decided to wrap my arms around it, I could also find out that the same power that's allowing our voices to get out all over the San Francisco Bay Area uh, could strike me dead uh, in the wrong fashion in a quick second. So it really comes down to our relationship with power and what we do with it.
3: Exactly. And the good news is God is at work in all this. And, uh, that very thing that can electrocute <laughs> and in a way did electrocute his son, right? His son suffered the worst that human power can do. That God can even overcome that and has something amazing on the other side of it that really brings, uh, blessing to, to the world. And that's what I think the hope that we can have as we realize that power is everywhere. Uh, but, but God's power to redeem and recreate and restore is everywhere
1: as well. You, you might admit, initially- Hear the topic and say, Well, this is a good book. I'm going to get a copy from my boss. (laughs) Uh, Or I have a husband or a wife or whomever that seems to be on a power trip. But really, all of us struggle at one level or another with power, trying to redefine what our relationship with power is, and then to learn that this is not something that um, should be shunned per se, that in fact it's a gift from God. How do we, though, redeem it for His purposes? You'll find some great insights (coughs) inside the pages of Andy Crouch's new book called Simply Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power. The new book, again, published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, as well as uh, all the usual suspects, Amazon.com, etc. Andy Crouch, thanks so much for being with us. Great book, great conversation. There's Andy Crouch, executive editor of Christianity Today, author of the new book, Playing God, Redeeming the Gift of Power.